This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. We have a guest this week. Who's our guest? Hi, guys. It's me. It's your friend Sophie. Our friend Sophie's here. Hi, our friend Sophie. Hi, you my said friends. That like Andrew you just Craig. came over. Like you like. Hey, yeah. guys, I'm here. Yeah, I brought just, a book. That's right. Just swinging by for our book club that we do. You know, face to face, like everyone does during COVID. Mm-hmm. Definitely, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. That's Definitely. True. Yeah, we're here to talk about a book and breathe on each other. Awesome. And it's going to be a good time. <laughs> there is quite a bit of breathing in this book. I mean, it's just like things are thematically lining up so nicely. For I guess I ass- there's breathing in most of the books we read, right? Like they just don't talk right. about it most right. of the time. Like the characters are presumably breathing all the time. Have you ever thought about that? No, I haven't. Oh, <laughs> now no. I will think of literally nothing else for the rest of the day. <laughs> Welcome to our show where someone reads a book and tells other people about it and our listeners get to join in. Um, Traditionally a book we have not read before. Sophie, if folks have not read the title of the podcast in their podcast machine yet, what book have you brought us? I I have brought you a book called Never Tell by Selena Montgomery who may be better known to your listeners as, uh, as Stacey Abrams. I've heard of her. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I've read something. You know, she, she's gotten some press coverage, you know, in the more obscure mm-hmm. uh, corners of, of the news world. Um, <laughs> so, Stacey, do you want me to talk a little bit about why people would know her? Or would you like to do that part? We can all collectively sure. do it. Um, but... Uh... So Selena Montgomery is the pen name of Stacey Abrams, and she wrote between the years of 2001 and 2009, eight romance novels. Um, this is sort of not the not the genre of thing people know her for. <laughs> but um, and as far as I can tell, like five of those appear to be available in current like paperback and ebook editions and the others are, are out of print. Um, she's also expected to publish a uh, Supreme Court focused political thriller yes. called uh, While Justice Sleeps under her own name in, in May of 2021. So there, there's a bit of like author background and then we can talk about why we are talking about her. Sure. Now, one of you. <laughs> <laughs> what makes her a timely person to be well, reading? So so we're releasing this episode on December 14th, 2020. Um, which is the first day of early voting in some runoff elections in the state of Georgia here in the United States. It's a dual runoff. It's all it's very exciting and exasperating and frightening at the same time. Uh, and so we thought maybe we should actually talk about this prominent politician who also wrote a bunch of books that seem pretty successful for what they are. You know, I don't know that 
any have been on any bestseller lists necessarily i don't know she sold a couple as far as i can tell she got like some of them came back into print after her political stature started to to rise i I was definitely leafing through goodreads reviews looking at dates for like when people came to them because it was stacy abrams and when people were just like i'm reading a new selena montgomery book like right there is a there's kind of a bifurcation of the timeline there um what Stacey abrams born 1973 uh former house minority leader in the georgia general assembly uh born in wisconsin grew up in gulfport mississippi went to spelman university of texas and yale law uh first woman to lead either party in the general assembly and first uh african-american to lead the house and what i think 2007 to 2017 was her time in the general uh, yeah, so she served from 2007 to 2017, and then from 2010, she was the, leader. the minority yeah, leader. Yeah. And the way that, that political power works in, in a lot of uh, state and the, indeed the federal legislature here in America, the minority leader position can be nothing. It can be pretty thankless, and you don't get to do a lot. But she became known for uh, for getting stuff done in cooperation with the Republicans who ran the the state like the the governors and the the republican uh legislature yeah so that was it was good that's that <laughs> it's like cemented her it cemented her reputation as like a, a deal maker and helped people get excited about her like potential when she chose to run for statewide office in uh, the 2018 elections she ran for a governor and did lose that election um partly because the Republican opponent she was facing off against was also administering the election Hmm. at the time. Very cool. Brian Kemp was the secretary of state of Georgia and refused to recuse himself or resign as past secretaries of state had done when they, when they had sought higher office in Georgia. So yeah, I mean, draw the conclusions you want from that. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so she, she, Founded the New Georgia Project. She currently runs Fair Fight, has done a lot of work to fight against voter suppression in various forms, has started a number of other businesses and organizations that serve different parts of her communities. Um, mm-hmm. And that I found some article that about this was a 2018 interview in the Washington Post written by Nora Krug. Um, that after a bad breakup at the age of 18, she went to the computer lab at her college and planned out her life that involved be- like becoming the nation's first black female governor, which she ran for, was not in the plan. <laughs> but <laughs> um, she wanted to uh, be the author of a best-selling romantic spy novel, be a millionaire running a corporation whose purpose I had not yet figured out, she said. And by 35, <laughs> she wanted to be mayor of Atlanta. She'd only really done the bestseller author thing but obviously is now like a nationally well-known um political figure and this novel oh no her first novel was written while she was at yale in her third year um and yeah she went on to write all sorts of these and i think there's a quote from her that says whether i'm writing about an ethnobotanist or a woman who's raising orphans in south georgia the challenge of telling their stories is the same challenge i face as a legislator who has to talk to someone about passing a bill on kinship care, helping grandparents raising grandchildren, or blocking a tax bill because I'm using expertise they don't realize I have. And that, to me, is like kind of why I was interested to hear what any of her books were about, because she she does a really good job in a lot of interviews 
drawing it in with the rest of her work. Like it's yes, she used a gnome to plume to get them published, but like I don't think she personally separates them the act of writing books and novels like from the rest of her work in a Yeah, from that from that same piece i think it's the same piece uh she says to the interviewer leadership requires the ability to the ability to engage and to create empathy for communities with disparate needs and ideas telling an effective story especially in romantic suspense demands a similar skill set effective storytelling takes the reader into a life that is both familiar and foreign enough of both to make space for others to feel empowered to tell their stories i buy it so yeah Craig, you'd better help tell me about this week's sponsor. I will help, and we'll all be the better for it. Good. This week's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient, so anyone who struggles with life challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with them in a safe, private, online environment in under 24 hours, and you can send a message to your counselor at any time. The service is available for clients worldwide, and licensed professional counselors have a broad range of expertise. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. Do you feel better, Andrew? Well, uh, it helped. <laughs> And Sophie, one reason we wanted to have you come on to help us talk about this book is because we're both dummy, bonehead, <gasps> dumb jerkos <Yep. laughs> who aren't who aren't like we we respect the romance genre, mm-hmm. but it's not one that I think we have a ton of experience with, and we don't want to sound super stupid. So that <laughs> you're here to help us not be stupid. <laughs> um. Thank you for that. I, I I don't think that you would be stupid, but it's a, I appreciate the compliment. Um, yeah, I, I I am very convinced that I will prove to be stupid in a couple of places because I okay because I do really enjoy romance. Um, but what I typically read is either like a contemporary on the lighter end of things um, like Jasmine, mm-hmm. like Jasmine Guillory. I've read all of her books. So I really, really enjoy those um, or like Regency style romances. I like those a lot. Um, this book, and it seems based on the descriptions I read of the other books uh, that have been published by Selena Montgomery, um, they're romantic thrillers. Mm. So, um, so that's a, l- a little bit different, but I believe that that is, it's a subgenre. but of course, like the main to me, the main thing about a romance is that it has to end on a happy note. Like there needs to be, if not a happily ever after, there needs to be a like a happy for now. Um, mm-hmm. This does end on that note. I will say I was I wasn't convinced until like the last chapter that that's where it was going to go. Um, <laughs> I thought there was a really strong chance that the um, the male love interest was going to die. Um, but he didn't, he didn't. And I'm so glad because he turns out to be pretty (laughs) terrific, which is funny because when I first started reading the book, I was like, this guy, oh Mm -hmm. boy, um, before, (laughs) and I'll explain why in just a moment, but before we do that, um, I want to provide uh, a content warning, um, which you should visualize as like 
an enormous red flashing neon sign because mm-hmm. um for psychological physical and financial abuse and also like domestic slash intimate partner violence it's the book the prologue of the book is spectacularly violent um oh, and honestly it was really upsetting i like i read it and i was like oh i don't know if i can do this one but like oh, we're gonna find out i was i was determined to do it but i thought like all right i I'm going to have to pace myself with this one. Um, sure. It's, I would say that is by far. Oh, no, it's not by far. It, it is the most violent scene of the in the book. There are a number of other scenes that are upsetting, but not hmm. as bad or as prolonged as this one. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So the, so the story opens with this scene of absolutely brutal, horrible violence between um, Annalise Glover and uh someone named nathan uh who is like just beating her nearly to death in this scene um and we then move to but she you know she wakes up he's dead and she escapes um she winds up we then move to um new orleans where she has fled to from where she was uh, with the horrible Nathan in Northern California. Um, mm-hmm. So she's in New Orleans. She's go- using the name Erin Abbott at this point. And she is a, a professor of criminal psychology at uh, the fictional Burkine University. She's been there for a couple of years. Things are going well enough. Um, like it's clear to the reader that she has a ton of trauma that is not fully processed from the experience that she had before. Um, but she's like, just trying to live her life. You know, she, she wears very beautiful, uh, expensive, well-made clothes that don't fit her particularly well, like use clothing as her armor against the world. Um, Mm -hmm. so a colleague at the university, um, introduces her to her brother. The colleague's name is Genevieve and the brother's name is Gabriel. And he is introduced to us as a very, very handsome very like top notch, top of the world type um, investigative journalist who had. Okay, I'm yeah. interested. I, yeah, I want to know more. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and so he's several years prior. It, it this unfolds over the course of the novel. But the back story for the two of them is that um, they're very close siblings. They have a really nice, loving relationship um, with lots of like you know gentle teasing, and uh, and their parents are have both passed away in the last couple of years. And, um, Gabriel had like, he'd come home to help take care of them. And, um, this like soulless, faceless media conglomerate came along to like snatch away the family newspaper. Gabriel had, I think, intended to run it himself. Um, but Mirin communications like came along and, and like, hostilely took it over as they did um like major black owned newspapers uh in atlanta and richmond so like there's there's in addition to to this like oh we gotta like solve this lady's horrible problem but also there's it's not even a subtext or implied critique it is right there on the page a very very (laughs) scathing critique of like media consolidation 
Um, and <laughs> well, like, this was written in 2004. Well, it was published in 2004, too. Right, right. So this is really prescient. Like, this is before I gave a moment's thought to, like, uh, I think it's Sinclair Media yep. who own all those TV affiliates yeah, yeah. and are, like, trying mm-hmm. to poison the well of, of uh, American news. Um, yeah, no, she was on it, like, way ahead of the curve. Huh. I'm very, I, so I was impressed with that, for sure. Um, so he has basically um, taken all of the money that he had like his savings that he had built up over the course of his life. And I think some inheritance from his parents to start a new newspaper. And it's going to, it's a weekly called the Bayou Ledger. So he's purchased this huge warehouse that he's converted into uh, like the offices of the newspaper, but also somehow the printing presses are in there. Like you can tell, you can tell it's not set in 2020 because he was able to entice like an entire staff of great like reporters and editors and uh, like digital sales, ad sales people um, to come. Oh work, yeah. To come work for him at a print newspaper. Oh boy. Right. So I was like, Oh, but what's his, like, what's his paywall? Plan like? does he, does, do they get into that? They at did all? not get into that, but it's clear that it's taking place like in a world where digital media exists because there's uh, there's talk about how like it took a long time for them to like set up the website which is two words two um, words okay it's two <laughs> words and um and his uh, like the director of um of advertising she does talk a lot about like okay well we like we sold out all of these ad blocks you know in the print edition and I'm you know I'm able to you know, do better ad buys for the digital. Like there's definitely, it's on the horizon, but I think the contemporary media landscape that we live in now uh, was not fully dreamed of in this okay, scenario. Sure. Although it's either, it's either, like I think she, she saw like the canary in the coal mine basically. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's either the, like the actual publishing industry in 2004 or the publishing industry in the show, the bold type now. <laughs> I don't watch the that's a bold good, type, That's a, so. good, a good reference okay. that a lot of people are going to totally understand. Yes, yeah. I, I understand that is a major hit program in all demographics. Yeah, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. So um, so they're in, uh, in some ways, like there's obviously there's a lot of horrible stuff that happens in this book, but there's also like a lot of moments of levity. Um, to me, that, par- that part of the story was actually very, very funny. Um, and she does a bunch of things with language in the book that are, I for a while was baffled by, but then decided we're actually like Easter eggs for the, uh, like the word nerds among her, among her readers. And I will provide Wait, some examples of those. Are you bit. a word nerd? Yeah, so please do. I mean, I'm not, not a word nerd. <laughs> we do all talk about the New York times spelling bee game every day. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. I think, I think we are just, word nerds, whether we want to be true. Or not. Whether we want to claim the label, it doesn't matter. Like we yeah. are what we are. I wanted to invite Sophie to don the moniker word nerd herself. I didn't want to foist it upon her. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's you're live on air. Right. You know. Right. Yes. No, that's fair. I no, I, I am a word nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just driving home that we're all we are all the some like total of the consequences of our own actions. <laughs> Whoa. True. Got got big and deep here. Yeah. In the of your podcast. <laughs> here we are. Is But wait, guys, is it a book podcast or is it like a we analyze our psychology podcast? That's the thing is eventually it's both. <laughs> Well, that's also appropriate because mm-hmm. um, after Erin Abbott flees her 
horrible situation in Northern California. She's a professor of uh, criminal psychology at the fictional Burkeen University. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so she, you know, she's successful at uh, profiling criminals and serial killers and whatnot. Um, one day she gets uh, an envelope that's got a sort of creepy letter and five obituaries of, uh, of people who have recently died in the city of New Orleans. And these all appear to be unconnected, but it turns out that there is a connection. And wouldn't you know it, it's the killer who sent her these obituaries. <laughs> and the killer wants her to solve the problem, like wants her to solve these crimes. Like a Moriarty situation. Yes, it is extremely okay. a Moriarty situation. Okay. Like <laughs> this person considers themselves to be her, like her nemesis. They're like calling her out and challenging her publicly. Well, not publicly, it's privately at this point, but, um, and like, want, like wants, you know, wants their work to be acknowledged for the genius that it is. A real Edward Nigma from the hit film Batman Forever. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. One of Jim, uh, Carrey's, Jim Carrey's best performance. Most nuanced performances. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, she's, of course, understandably horrified. And she also is suspects that, that, that it's related to her past, which okay. there's there's like tons, as you would expect, like foreshadowings. And that winds up being connected to... Um, to Gabriel because as I mentioned, he's an investigative reporter and meets Aaron on campus as she's like finishing one of her classes. And uh, he, they are both immediately attracted to each other in a very like intense and hot way. And sure, um, of course they are. the way that she responds to it could not be more different than the way he responds to it. Like she is sort of like shrinking into her shell, like visibly uncomfortable with being around him and he is instantly like super flirtatious and is like touching her constantly in a way that made me very uncomfortable. Like you literally just shook hands with this man and he is groping you like what this. And and that's, so that's why I was disbelieving that this was going to be the, the romantic, the love interest in the book. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, yeah, they're definitely attracted to each other, but like she is, signaling both with her body language and eventually with her very precise language that she wants him to back off and he refuses. And I thought that that was really weird and upsetting and I didn't like it. Um, And it is, I think a measure of how good Selena Montgomery is at, uh, at like pacing and character development that she was able to, execute like it's not a complete heel face turn but it's basically that like a sort of a a gentle turn um well and i one thing i do know about romance from some of the stuff that we've read like a lot especially when we're reading like uh mm self-published uh romance people is like the the exact combination of like pursuit and like how much the person wants it and like if they secretly want right. it or y- y- like it, it is a romance is a safe place to play with like right. the gray areas of consent yes. because when you're reading it you can think it is hot without like actually putting yourself in at, at any risk of like a bodily harm or right. anything like yes. that you know what i mean yes. like so that i guess 
that is why so many self-published romance authors do like label their works like very specifically with that kind of thing so that when you are reading it you are not unpleasantly surprised by that right. sort of sort of stuff but i guess i'm not surprised to hear that that uh Selena Montgomery, Stacey Abrams. I don't know how we want to refer to her when we talk about her in the context of the of the book, but I'm not surprised she's playing around with that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it it does make sense, and I would say like as a whole, it it hangs together pretty well because of how completely Gabriel is revealed over the course of the book to be like a genuinely good and caring person who does adjust his behavior. Um, at the at the behest of the protagonist and also you know is able to to help her see that she isn't she's she's not what she thinks and claims she is which she keeps talking about how like how weak she is and what a like a freak of nature she is um he begins to see and begins to tell her like you're not a freak of nature. You are uniquely gifted in a number of areas. And that's really, really incredible and impressive to me. You know, and you're not, you're not weak. You're not a coward. You're not a bad person. You got yourself out of a really dangerous situation that was very, very harmful to you. And that's, that's remarkable. And Can it I, takes her. I, yeah. I would normally do this a little bit later, but uh, I found a couple Goodreads reviews, and most of them are explicitly about this relationship and like oh, great. how yeah, no, people I'd love to hear. Mm-hmm. feel about Gabriel and Aaron. Um, yeah. So down in the two-star reviews, there's uh, Katie and Liz. Uh, Katie said, Gabriel is the worst. And that was the only thing that she said. <laughs> um, and Liz said, this was like reading some days of our lives. And I made an editorial note for myself, which is, is this a bad thing? As long as you know what you're getting into. You know, maybe it, right. it is okay. Um, uh, reader named Catherine gave the only like, you know, like pretty pretty expansive three star review. Andrew, hit me. Three star good review. Is a three and a half uh, came because it was a Stacey Abrams book um, and said I downgraded it a bit because I didn't like Gabriel's behavior at the beginning, which is what yeah. you were talking about. So mm-hmm. a bit too domineering, mildly in the old school romance territory, um, putting it back at two thousand four. Right. Um, and Anna, who is a four-star review, said, this book was really good. I really enjoyed trying to figure out who the killer was, which I want to hear more about, was mm. all the while drooling over Gabriel. He can write a story on me any day. <laughs> I like how Gabriel can see right through Aaron's boxy clothing and boring but comfortable shoes and write into her knowing that something is wrong. Um, and similarly, Sassy Mama said, I enjoyed the instant attraction Gabe had for Aaron, despite how she portrayed herself in the non-caring uh, frumpy boxy attire that he was able to see she was hiding something and still wanted to help her is what you're talking about and tanny just said five stars i really like this book the story had lots of twists and turns plus kissing so that's accurate i mean it does have lots of twists and turns and there is some kissing plus yeah kissing. no no lies detected um mm. yeah he he because he's he because of his incredible investigative reporter instincts um <laughs> he he basically like she becomes an amateur sleuth she feels uh that she in some way is responsible for these deaths that keep occurring and she alone is able to discern the pattern which has to do with um like an area of expertise that she had left behind years ago um which is her incredible linguistic gift 
Like Mm. she just is, she's has a natural ability, which her parents who sadly died when she was a teenager, um, like they noticed it very early on how gifted she was like when she was about two. And she says that, uh, you know, basically her, her childhood after that was sort of being dragged around the globe by her very accomplished academic parents um, who had her tested um, for a whole bunch of unique, her unique abilities to see how far they would go to provide her with extra um, tutoring in as basically as many languages as they possibly could, you know, provide for her. Um, And she has this incredible gift, not only with like speaking languages, but, you know, making connections across things that seem really disparate. Um, And as it turns out, the person who is doing these crimes and murdering native New Orleanians is doing so uh, to go through the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, and so on. Um, so it's so the- Sue Grafton just came in and just started yes. off people in New Orleans. Okay. Yes. Sure. Yes. And like, seemingly there's no connection among these people. You know, one is a museum docent. One is uh, like a, a bank loan officer. Another one is uh, an exotic dancer. Um yeah, those aren't an alphabetical architect. to me. Sorry? Those aren't alphabetical to me. They aren't. The alphabetization <laughs> is very obscure. Um, it, mm-hmm. it turns out that this is like a horrible game, just like Moriarty creates for Sherlock. Um, a game where like only she can be the opponent. And even she doesn't figure out why these people were targeted for murder. Um, I think it's her TA, Jessica, who sort of has to spell it out for her a little bit. <laughs> sure. um, so it's, it's a puzzle that only she can solve, but partly because she has staffed her office really right, well. Right, right, <laughs> right. Somebody else is actually the one who is like, but don't you see the connection? Um, yeah. Which the connection turns out to be, and this is, I think, truly diabolical um they all of the victims are people who were were kind to her Ah. so this person who is killing off you know just like normal citizens is is doing so for her attention and is doing so to isolate her further like Mm. she's come to she's she has been isolating herself on purpose but the killer is now sort of like chipping away at the one nice thing in her life that she was actually kind of unaware of in a bunch of cases like when she figures out what happened with the loan officer she realizes she had never met him face to face uh, but he's the person who processed her loan so that she could buy her apartment Mm, and had just been like you know really nice really easy to deal with like very kind Um, but she'd never like filed his name away in her in her brain does this Um, create tension with our boy gabe and her ability to connect with him or desire there too yes yes she has this like immediate they but they have this immediate visceral mutual attraction they're both extremely into each other and he tells her like with his by with the way that he talks to her the way that he is is physically with her both just in terms of like where he positions himself in relation to her and in terms of like, you know, following her kind of like insisting that he participate in this invest, this amateur sleuthing that she's tasked herself with. Um, Cause he smells a story. Like first he's just really curious about her. 
And then it turns into, oh my God, like these, uh, she, cause she goes to the police with her suspicion and sort of her nascent theory of the case. And uh, the police don't, they're just like, lady, what are you talking about? Like this guy died cause he was mugged. You know, like, yes, this other woman was clearly murdered in a pretty, pretty brutal fashion, but like that had, like, there's no other relationship. Like the victims don't know each other. Um, they don't live in the same neighborhood necessarily. You know, all of the, the um, methods of murder vary widely. There's like no repetition. So they're, they're unhelpful in the way that cops are uniquely unhelpful in these kinds of yes, stories. Yes. They just laugh at you and they go back to eating their donuts while you go to solve the well, crime. Pretty much, but they get mad when you do that. They don't like it. It's New Orleans. <laughs> right, yeah. It's New Orleans, Andrew. So they're all eating beignets. That's true. I'm That's sorry. True. They are People do beignets. talk a lot about beignets in this book. Yes. There, there wasn't, there wasn't enough food stuff in here for mm. me. I, I definitely wanted more food stuff. But you you really get a sense of the city. I've been to New Orleans twice. Um, I would love to go there again. I think it is the most beautiful city I, I've ever been to. It's a super cool yeah, place. It's really, yeah, it's really great. And, you know, the, the people there are... New Orleans, they're just incredibly hospitable. Um, it's such a, like a fun, warm, lively place. So I really enjoyed sort of being in that milieu. That was really... That was really nice. Um, and one of the things that is really clear about Montgomery's uh, vision of New Orleans is that it's the kind of city that is not unlike Philadelphia in that like people who grow up there like to stay there. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's very the people's roots are very, very important to them. Um, and there's I, I really liked that. Um and that's something that comes up very quickly, both with regard to Gabriel and Genevieve's family history of running newspapers in the city and in terms of um, the the detective who who Aaron goes to with this theory. Um, her name is Sylvie Iberville. And she's you know been in the department for decades and decades and, in fact, had had a romantic relationship with uh, Gabriel and Genevieve's dad at one point. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody. <laughs> everybody. Yes. They're all. Everybody's kissed everybody. That's pretty much. Works. Pretty much. They all went to high school <laughs> together. They all have kissed each other many times. Um, and that's where we are. So, uh, yeah. So she goes to the police and they don't really. They don't buy it. Gabriel uh, is at the police station and just happens to overhear this. This conversation between Aaron and Sylvie. Basically, he's like, oh, ho, like, I'm going to I'm going to investigate with her while I invest. Yeah, but this really tickles his oh, newsman's it, instincts. Yes, his spidey sense is a tingling away. He's got to wash the ink off his hands and go chase the scoop. That's right. That's right. With his trusty <laughs> stenographer's notebook and pencil. He's definitely the kind and of his, guy. His hat with the mm -hmm. press thing in it. 100%. You know? Yes. The old timey press oh, hat. Oh, yeah. 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 And he talks a lot about, you know, like shoe leather reporting and oh, man, <laughs> he doesn't. I'm sorry. I'm exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want Craig to be disappointed that there isn't an actual reference to shoe leather. Sure. But mm -hmm. in my mind's eye, um, the way that he's described, like he's just they're both, of course, like impossibly gorgeous, hot people. The way he's described, I can I kind of picture um, the actor Michael Ely. Um, who was in Stumptown, the late lamented Stumptown. Okay. He's been in a bunch of shows. Um, 
but in my mind's eye he looks a little bit like that he uh he's described as having these like flashing silvery eyes which michael oh, ely okay. also has um which is why i i picture that in addition to his being incredibly <laughs> handsome um but mm-hmm. like i i wish that there had been a moment where he like took the pencil from behind his ear and sort of like licked the lead to make sure that it would like write down on his trusty stenographer's notebook there was sadly sure, that was right. not included um so he basically he appoints himself Aaron's protector because there's a murderer on the loose sure and he can tell that she's very vulnerable in spite of this like kind of frosty frumpy thing that she's got going on where she doesn't need or want his help thank you very much mr moss um (laughs) he's just gonna like tag along just you know but he makes a nuisance of himself and in a number of instances he feel he feels on the page to be a little dangerous and scary um does it do you feel like that is uh, a choice to create tension around like what if he winds up being the murder like the dude or is that just no like that I, i mean i think i for a couple of pages thought well it could be anyone so maybe it is him being terrible and like doubling down on being horrible not just by being a murderer but by like adding to aaron's obvious torment um but that that gets swept away really really quickly um the way i came to understand it is that i think that yes his behavior definitely was inappropriate and crossed a bunch of lines at the beginning Mm -hmm. i think that but i think that the degree to which it is a problem it reflects aaron's discomfort with this person who she doesn't know and has no reason to trust Mm -hmm. at the beginning over the course of the book, as it becomes clear that he is trustworthy, he is honest, he does care. Yes. He's very interested in this story, which could turn around the fortunes of his upstart revenge newspaper. Um, I mean, that's, that's what it is. Like the, the newspaper he wants, he, of course, like very, very deeply cares about and feels that the residents of new Orleans deserve top-notch actual well-researched fact-checked news but also he really wants to stick it to these people who stole his his family legacy boy this is like college acapella group level (laughs) pettiness it's true it's true so like he is chasing this story but like as his feelings for Aaron deepen into the go beyond physical attraction and, and become something more significant um and she begins to value the help that he can provide. Um, you know, they, there's definitely a like two brains that work in slightly different ways, but can like keep pace with each other dynamic going mm-hmm. on. Like it's, it's not in that particular way. It is not dissimilar to like the vibe between Franny Fisher and um, Detective Robinson in the, the Franny Fisher mysteries. I don't know if you've read them or watched any of the shows, but um, no, basically like they're, they could not be more different opposites attract. Um, mm-hmm. And over time, like there's a significant trust um, and, re- and mutual respect. He's a little bit country. She's a little bit rock and roll, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, ultimately, like they, you know, very quickly, neither of them can hide the fact that they would like to bone. Like it's, sure. it's, you know, it's obvious to them internally. And then like, they wind up not, I mean, he's never hiding <laughs> it from her, but like, eventually she is like, okay, I actually do really like him. And that's, yeah. it's, sorry, go on. 
I know the point of romance novels is not to have a lesson, which is good because the lesson I'm getting is that it's okay to be a creep if you know you are actually a good, right. a good guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I can totally understand if someone were to pick up this book and read the first couple of chapters and be like, absolutely not. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think that that, that is totally fair. You don't just because you start. I mean, I'm a big believer in not finishing books that I don't like. Um, mm-hmm. I I absolutely think that you know somebody who reads a couple of chapters of this book and is like, wow, like this guy's horrible. No, thank you. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a totally reasonable response. Um, yeah, I will say that having stuck with it to the end, I really um, admire the way that uh, Montgomery was able to make that shift in her mm. characterization of Gabriel. I don't think Aaron's characterization ever gets much deeper. In fact, there were there were a couple of moments, more than more than a couple of moments, where in the book where um the secondary characters are so vivid and sparkling that I was like, oh, I want to know more about like managing editor Peter. He doesn't even get a last name, I don't think. <laughs> but he's he's fascinating. Like he's curmudgeonly, he's a great judge of character, he's very funny. But then we would eventually come back to what's going on with Aaron and Gabriel in their in their murder investigation. Um we do there is a bunch of um like time shifting like you there's a number of flashback scenes that set out for the reader like the degree of the horror that Aaron has survived um mm-hmm. in her previous life as Annalise. So she was this child prodigy which she never ever says that about herself like she only and consistently refers to herself as a freak or freakish so she had these slightly older parents they were in her for in their 40s when she was born um they sort of traipsed all over europe with her um in order to get her like the best possible education and to try to really understand the uniqueness of her mind and her particular gifts and then at a certain point um they drop her off at college when she's like 15 Excuse me, and then they die in a plane crash, like the year after that. Boy, yeah, so it's like it is like this is happening in a book. It, I like know, that, right? It's, it's very stock. It's, the way it's that series of events. Yeah, happens. it's just wild. Um, so this, you know, extremely talented world traveler, but yet extremely sheltered, um, young orphan, uh, is you know on campus there as a sophomore she's flourishing in her linguistics classes and she she under she is deliver she delivers this paper to her professor she thinks it's her best work ever she's create she's been able to discern a link between um one contemporary language and uh a language that is no longer spoken across mm-hmm. like vast geographical distances um it shows like what a fine mind she has and how like creative in her thoughts and uh, like what a good researcher she is and she brings him this paper and um in the meeting he's already read it and become furious because he can see what a true genius she is and he knows that it's only a matter of time before she's beyond him and uh overtakes him professionally So obviously he does what anyone would do, which is to just shred her confidence and convince her to switch majors from uh, from linguistics to psychology to eliminate his competition. Um, And then and then he's and she leaves the office like in tears, having agreed to do what he thinks is right, because 
what does she know? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's nothing. And, and he's an incredible, successful, uh, professional linguist. Um, yeah, yeah right. that's how that always goes. I mean, that's definitely how it went in my conversations, like with my and advisors. Nobody ever, nobody ever has any suspect motives or any definitely. other stuff. Like everybody's pretty much operating in good faith at all Absolutely. times is my experience. Absolutely. <laughs> and, um, of course, like she leaves his office devastated, um, and he's really happy because he knows that, like, it doesn't matter that he ripped up this copy of her paper. Like, she had emailed it to him and he saved it on his hard drive. So, and, and he winds up publishing it under his own name. Oh, cool. Yeah, very, very, that's very, a very fun, cool. That's yeah. a twist and a turn, plus kissing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that, so, like, <laughs> she, you know, in due course, she graduates with her degree in psychology. And, um, you know, she, he convinces her to move in with him. You know, purely like platonically, like she doesn't have anywhere to go. Her parents are dead. Well, like everything goes to absolute hell <laughs> at that point. Um, because she is still, I think she's uh, 17, 18 at this point. And he convinces her to sign over uh, her trust fund to him and like give her power, of, give him power of attorney over her financially. And uh, like he just torments her psychologically and eventually um you know begins abusing her physically and it's really upsetting to read like his his mass the way that it's written like he's very good at being very manipulative and methodically cutting her off from any of the friends who she had developed on campus um and yeah it's just it's a horrible did you say and you said it was you know it is flashbacks is it sprinkled throughout the book or is it like a two-thirds of the way through and now we're going to give you the backstory kind of thing it's it's a little bit more the former okay like it's, it's not as if you can like say to yourself okay every third chapter we're going to get a flashback it's more like th- these flashbacks appear when i think montgomery wants you to understand more of annalise slash erin's uh psychology and why like, she's responding to something a certain way or correct. something like that sure yes, sure yes okay. and also to give us some important clues Ooh. um yes because it turns out like it becomes clear over the course of the investigation and as she is like learning more about uh the murder victims oh it becomes clear that the person who is committing the murders first she thinks oh my god what if nathan's alive and then she thinks that's not possible like he's definitely dead. I saw his dead body. She had called her best friend, uh, Sebastian, who I don't actually know what he does like as a profession. It just That's seems a like a good he's... side character. That's yeah, good. It, it just seems like he's I mean, and it may be that it's on the page and I'm just not recalling it. But um, somehow or other, he has really, really great like black ops skills. So uh, he like he lives in New York <laughs> like you do he, like you just... as you know, whomst amongst us does not have a childhood best friend who knows how to dispose of dead bodies. Right. Yeah. And, oh, and who can forge birth certificates, passports, degrees from foreign universities. Yeah, like the same people have those sort of skills, I find. Yeah, I mean, like, right. If you can hide a body, like, you could probably make me a fake idea. Probably. Probably. <laughs> One does, I think, flow from the other. Um, Yeah, so so he hops a plane 
helps her dispose of Nathan's body and like gets her out of California and they collaborate on like what her new life should be. And event- so that's how she winds up in, in New Orleans. So it sounds like we're moving towards an end game. Yeah. yeah. Where it so- is definitely revealed to be who we think it will be. Maybe. Ooh. I mean, it was it was revealed Ooh. to be who I thought it would be. Uh oh. Um, but there's a I mean, there's a, a classic red herring in there. Um, which is which is actually a lot that that is fun not i mean to the degree that like a murder mystery can be fun um particularly one this grisly but uh yeah like we're so first she thinks it's actually somehow nathan not dead after all question mark question mark but then it becomes clear that it's somebody who knew nathan and somehow knew her and who is who's surveilling her so closely without her noticing to such a degree that they're able to choose people who were in her social orbit, who she may or may not even have been aware of were in her social orbit. It's it just like the creepiness, the creepiness of the murders and the murderer and the murderer's psychology just like keeps ratcheting up, 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 up as the, our understanding of Gabriel moving from creep to like ah. de- decent crime solving partner to okay sexy actually creep. yes always <laughs> yeah. very sexy the sexiness is never in question she is constantly saying to herself like you know what you would like to be doing but you're not going to do it because you don't want anyone else to get hurt and so he becomes like a better option by contra- by like contrast to a literal murderer <laughs> right and and on his own merits yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's, it's sure, both. sure 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 it's sure, both <laughs> It's both. And I, I do wonder, like, did the author maybe write herself into a little bit of a trap that mm. way? Like, obviously, she knew that the end game was always going to be that Aaron and Gabriel get together. Sorry, spoilers, everyone. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I feel like I feel like she sort of had to start with him being low key horrible in order for the payoff of him being actually not as horrible not just not as horrible like at the end of the in the last couple of chapters of the book like it's clear that he's very insightful really understands Aaron and wants her to see what she can't about herself which is that she's very courageous and not freakish just really talented and well-trained in these two areas that happen to fit together in a very powerful way and then there's another thing that is very interesting. You you mentioned sort of like a classic romantic hero being sort of like the demonic Byronic lover who's like horrible until like the love of a good woman tames him sort of. Um, like the beast from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, oh, shoot, I'm just making connections. Sorry, I'm just making it easier for me to understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he, he starts out that way. Uh, oh gosh, I really did lose my train of thought. Oh man. Oh, I'm so I sorry. Gonna, no, no, no. It's me. I kind of went, took myself down a little bit of a windy path. Shoot. Oh, the the vengeance for Nathan. You know, I'm not going to get any further into it because I would like to preserve the mystery for for people who want to read it. Like, I think people should be able to figure out the the murder on their own or not. Be like really surprised at the end. That's also, <laughs> That's a, you know, you can solve this some, mystery or not. Right. Some people really like to be totally surprised at the end. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. I, yeah. you know, I kind of like to try and figure it out as I go. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. This. Uh, so I do want to say, like, yes, this book is extremely trope laden. 
um, as we've been talking about, I would say that, oh, to the, so one of the people who reviewed the books on Goodreads made reference to Days of Our Lives. Yeah. And, and that's not inaccurate in certain ways. Like the, in terms of the, I feel like, you know, at the end of the book, of course, the pacing, the pace picks up as they're yep. sort of careening towards figuring out who the, who the dastardly perpetrator is. Um, but it definitely is a little more leisurely than it needs to be as, as we go along in the first like two thirds of the book, uh, which d- is very soap operatic, like soap operas, you know, people are always talking about like the plot twists, but I think the real special sauce of soap operas is, is that even if you've never watched an episode of days of your lives, you can, you can jump in and because they repeat things they so say often, the same thing every day, yeah. for you could watch 1000%. You could watch an episode once every two weeks and be completely on top of every single plot line. Yep. Um, and that is, I feel that that is true of this book. Um, in terms of the plot itself and the ways that it unfolds and also the like, you know, the chemistry between the, the two protagonists and, um, and also like the weird depraved logic of the murderer it, it really reminded me of of justified mm. the, i don't know if you ever watched the, TV the show justified. Show. yeah the fx show justified and um it was very similar to stuff that you i i see in that show all the time it, i felt like there were moments where i was like i feel like i'm reading an elmer leonard book so i think if you approach this book with the understanding that it is a romantic thriller more than a yeah, romance. Yeah, you, you laid that out pretty hard at top. I wanted to make sure yes. we come back to that as we wrap. Yes. yes. Yeah, because it's not like, you know, I think my usual preferred subgenre within romance is is just like the like two really decent people who may not like each other at the beginning, but then as they begin to understand each other, realize, oh, hey, we're actually we're right for each other. This is going to be good. <laughs> like that. I, I really like that kind of story. Like I, pref- <laughs> I prefer something where the stakes are a lot lower, <laughs> you know, like maybe there there's the threat of emotional decimation, but like, it doesn't start with it. It doesn't start with emotional and physical decimation. It, it starts with like, you know, two fairly well-adjusted people who have problems just like anybody else does and who find love. Isn't that nice? Like, yeah. I really like that. <laughs> and this is more like, it's horrible. Everyone's terrible and has secrets, but you're going to figure it out and you're going to find true love on the way. Like it's, it, it is going to work out. It is going to be fine, but you got to get through this really upsetting stuff first. Yeah. I was, um, yeah. I wish that the biggest character flaw that I had was that I wore too big clothes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that seems like, like that should be the, that seems like one that's pretty easy to fix. Agreed. agreed. It sounds like she set out on her goal. So like, as we close here, I was just reminded of a of another quote I saw where she was talking about wanting to write spy novels. And then editors were like, men aren't going to read spy novels written by a woman about women. Uh, think about making sure there's romance. And she's like, okay, I guess I'll write some thrillers that have romance in them. Um, and it certainly sounds like she right. leaned in the direction she wanted to. And also there are characters who want to bone each other. And maybe they do. I don't know. Yes. We'll find out. Yes. And it's actually worth noting. Um, it became clear to me. I was like, oh, if this time, if my understanding of the timeline of Annalise slash Aaron's life is correct, she probably has never had sex. Mm. Um, hmm. It turns out that like initially, although Nathan is a horrible, abusive monster, 
one thing he doesn't do is attempt to force himself on Annalise sexually. There's actually there's one moment where it seems like it's going to happen. Sure. Um, but she manages to to escape. And so when she does have sex with Gabriel, again, spoilers for a romantic thriller, um, <laughs> where the characters, when they first meet, it's obvious that they're going to get together. Um, when they do, I don't think they have a conversation about it until after the fact, although like in her inner monologue, you like, get the, you get you, that. You, you definitely get that. Like she says, like ah, she sort of says to herself, I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it now by God. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And they, so because so frequently a romance is like one of the things that's really significant, particularly in like Regency or historical romances, that it's like the first love, particularly oh, sure. for the, mm-hmm. particularly for the female character. So yeah. I thought that was a, like making the character like, a very sophisticated upper class world traveler academic type sure is really interesting like that that because she's so sheltered in this way like well it actually it was not that surprising that she's never had sex before um mm. so I thought, but i thought that was interesting um and i i have having not read montgomery's other books uh it seemed i don't know if she um, uses a device like that in any of her follow-up books. Um, I read a number of the like the plot descriptions for them, and it it didn't seem like that. It really seemed like everybody in these books is like definitely a grown adult who has had previous relationships, um, mm-hmm. and are like they're scarred in different ways. Sure, sure. Um, uh, there is one thing. If there's time, I I made I made reference earlier in the episode to uh, some like weird vocab usages. Hit us with the word nerds the on our way out. Yeah, so, so let's yeah, yeah. Let me stuff. let yeah. me just. I did mark them in my notes. Here's a description of an interior design choice: exposed red brick, trickled with oxidization and age. Trickled. Yeah, I trickled. was like, that's, that's a little weird. Okay, um, yeah. I wouldn't besmirch your ethics i wouldn't besmirch your ethics peter okay besmirch is just a it's a word that always calls attention to itself right right i feel yes yes (laughs) oh here's one thing that i thought was genuinely strange and i may need to just like go look up the etymology of the word because this is i've never seen it used in this way tumescent average local resident i've only heard tumescent in the uh, context in the of a boner way. yeah 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 so i don't Wait, know hmm. can you say that again and, and we're sure, sure i'm gonna not... i'm gonna actually i'm gonna go <laughs> okay so uh he this is a description of uh one of aaron's colleagues in the he, the, the head of the psych department psychology department he favored the refined and aloof city dweller to the tumescent average local resident the two i don't I- I'm just gonna look. Yeah, this is yeah. uh, a second definition to boom, right. I just don't know about pompous or, especially of language or literary style, pompous or pretentious. Except like a boner. Prose is too messend. Yeah, like. well, and that doesn't really make sense because he's talking about local residents. Basically, without saying it, he's saying that they're yokels. All right. Huh. I don't. I don't know that that fits. Here. I mean, it's. Swollen or swollen or becoming swollen is just the base definition, and then it adds especially as a response to sexual arousal. So especially, but not exclusively. Maybe Montgomery's just having some fun with us here. Maybe they're just puffed up or something. Is what she's trying to convey. I don't know. But 
Well, it does seem an awful lot like it's a boner. Yeah. Word. Here's another one. Here's another one. Um, <laughs> referring to. Okay. So this is referring to a, one of Aaron's students, Dr. Abbott, the breathy histrionic voice barely preceded Harmony's arrival. How is a breathy voice histrionic? Craig, can you try? Can you, you, wait, you, you've been an give actor. Me, wait, in, give me a, a working. Can you try and give me a working definition of histrionic that I can play. To me, histrionics are like being like overreacting and being very dramatic. What are you doing with yeah. that knife, Carol? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a knife that big before in my kitchen. <laughs> I mean, that really does sound like something that Nicolas Cage would be doing. Like, like late, late period Nicolas Cage. We found stuff. it. It's just Nicolas Cage's I voice. I like that even a little yeah. bit. Um, okay, this, there's, there's a bunch more. I, I, and I am not trying to make fun of Selena Montgomery. I really do. No, I really no, do no. believe we, th- these are, that these are. The struck me funny genre is one that we yeah. have dived into a lot and it doesn't it doesn't it's not a value judgment it's just like this i read this and my brain was like and you said with a book about a linguist it could just be like she is she could be deliberately playing with stuff here too yes that's the that's the conclusion that i arrived at um because it just keeps going it's throughout the book and it's not every page but it pops up frequently enough and i'm like huh interesting choice um Lot, many, many, many things in this book are described as satiny or silky. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And frequently it makes sense, you know, satiny skin, silky blouse. But at one point when Aaron and Gabriel are kissing, she refers to his, hold on, <laughs> I'm just going to read you the whole sentence. So this is about them kissing. She angled her head and swept beyond the cool silk of his teeth to the delightful danger of his tongue. Silky teeth? Delightful danger. Did, maybe he just went for a dental cleaning and like all of the plaque has been removed. Like that's a that's a nice feeling. <laughs> Is that but, a silky feeling though? But I don't it's, I don't know that it's silky. Right. It's like a it's a sort of a smooth Exactly. It's just almost slippery like marble. sort of. Right. Right. Marble would be oh. fine. Would be fine. Um and then okay, the last one that I will share with yeah, you. Yeah, it is with one is, more. It's it's just it, overall it's funny, but also the specific image was amusing to me. Um, visions of them together, satiated, clouded before him, and desire raked him with erotic claws. <laughs> like, is desire a dragon? That's a good ouch, is what that is. Uh huh. Right, right. It, that's, I guess that's a hurt so good. Yeah. 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 But I just, there were a bunch of these and at first I found them jarring. And then every time they popped up, I was like, oh, you're back. All right. What's this? What? Lay this weird (laughs) stuff on me. I want to show it to me. Word nerd. (laughs) As it were. As it were. (laughs) Show it to me. Word nerd. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You are welcome, everyone. (laughs) For for taking us on this word nerd journey and for getting us acquainted with selena montgomery's work i'm glad we were able to do it. i'm glad we were able to have you on to talk absolutely about it. oh thank you thank you for inviting me and i think that i think that this book would be a great like fx miniseries uh it got picked up by cbs did it for development yeah oh, nice. um, okay a writer from a uh, talisha rags 
who's worked on NCIS New Orleans, worked on The Originals, which is that Vampire Diaries spinoff in New Orleans. Mm, all right. Um, so it was picked up last year, 2019. So it's probably okay. still in development. Um, all right. Well, I hope it comes to the screen. Like, I'll definitely watch a few episodes at least, you know. See what happens. But, yeah, see what happens. I Yeah, I, I don't want to read romantic thrillers. Happy to watch them. Great. Sure. So that's where we um, are. As we close out here, uh, just a reminder that voting... Uh, early voting in Georgia starts as of the day of this release of this podcast, December 14th, and it runs till January 1st. And then Election Day is on January 5th. If you're all listening to this in t- the end of 2020, that's when this part of the podcast is relevant. Um, yeah. And if you are from outside of Georgia and you feel like you want to help, uh, fairfight.com is Stacey Abrams's organization. She um, does a lot of get out the vote stuff and registration stuff like a lot of things which are widely credited with helping um, Joe Biden win that state in the, in the presidential election in November. So I, I trust her with my money. Same. (laughs) You know, and I would, if I were you, if that is an outcome that you are interested in, send us an email with your thoughts on word nerds and silky teeth uh, to overduepod <laughs> at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. Uh, thanks to Stephen Becca, Tabitha, Stacy, Stella, Laura, Katie, Co- Katie, Cody, Katie, Cody, Ingrid, Matthew, Shannon, Mariah, Mario, Ebony, Ashton, Renee, Kyle, Luciana, and many more. Uh, we did a book wreck thread over the weekend. So go check that out. Um, our theme song is by Nick Larangis. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show. Where should they go? Overduepodcast.com. Up there, we have links to our Apple and Google pages, our RSS feed. You can also find us on Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are. Uh, we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Uh, click those. That's a link to bookshop.org. You buy the book there. We get a cut. Your local independent bookseller gets a cut, and you get a book. Everybody That's a wins. win-win-win. Uh, next, week, <laughs> next week, Craig's going to be reading The Big Sleep. Mm. By Raymond Chandler. <laughs> Could this be any bigger of a sleep? I guess we'll find out. Sophie, if folks want to follow your work online, where should they go? Sure. Um, well, I co-write the Two Bossy Dames newsletter with a uh, frequent returning champion of this podcast, Margaret H. Willison. Um, so you can find that at twobossydames.substack.com. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Sophie Biblio. Great. Yeah. People should do that. Thank Both you. those things are great. Andrew, get us out right, of here. Thank you, Sophie, for telling us about this book. My pleasure. Thank you, Craig, for being here. Always. Thank you, everybody at home for listening. And until we talk to you next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.